You're listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Here are your calls. Andrew Forbes, Peter Barrichini, and Alex Hoffman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 76 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co-hosts, Alex Hobson and Peter Barrichini, as always. Gentlemen, another big week. Uh, trade deadline has come and gone. The Leafs were a little bit more quiet, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, let's start it off with Peter. How are you doing this week, bud? Oh, uh, you know, I'm doing good. Uh, I mean... Again, kind of, kind of, kind of a slow week for me. I've been having those a lot. Like nothing eventful is is like happening right now. But you know, I managed to go out in, like last week, hit up a few malls because you know everything's starting. Well, everything was open up, but you know, the whole you know limits and everything. Uh, went out, did some shopping, try to get my feet moving, get some exercise in as well because hey, the uh, the warmer weather starting to come by. But apparently, we're gonna get hit with some snow and ice and I'm not a big fan of that. So screw you weather. Alex, what's going on buddy this week? Um, not too much. Uh, don't have too, too much of a ball hockey update for you. Unfortunately, we, uh, uh, our season's underway. We're two games in, we're two and all, but obviously no one really cares about the early season updates. Not until crunch time anyways. So, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, otherwise it's been pretty good. I'm working and I'm working a shift, uh, producing Niagara in the morning, which is a, uh, it's a, talk radio show uh, in the Niagara region and uh, the show starts at 5 a.m. So I'm still on that wake up at 3.30 a.m. sleep Oof. grind and it's it's pretty taxing. I'm not going to lie, guys. <laughs> the beauty of it is that my work days are done by like 9 a.m. So I like I, I get up for three, I get the shift done, I get it all over with and then I'm home by like 9 a.m. And that was especially lucky for uh, Monday because I got to get home and just throw on Trade Center and just melt in front of the TV all day. But then they nothing ended up happening. So it was a pretty, uh, pretty quiet trade deadline day. But uh, having said that, I still love, I still love planting myself in front of the TV and just uh, listening to Duffy and the boys talk it up about the trade deadline. I think there's a certain level of charm to that. So uh, yeah, nothing, nothing too much else aside from that. Just, uh, just been vibing. All about those naps in the afternoon with those five a.m. Uh, five oh, a.m. shifts. I know what I it's all one, about. I took one before we started recording this, and I'm probably <clears> going to take one afterwards too. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Got it. Uh, yeah. It's uh, like, like you said, it was kind of a slow deadline this, this week. Um, yeah. I mean, not much going on for the Leafs, especially, I think they made one major deal and then obviously Travis Dermott shipped out, which we will get to in just a little bit here. Uh, aside from that boys, not much changing on my end either. Um, you know, just the same old stuff worked master master slowly disappearing on faces. It's, uh, you're seeing a little bit more of, uh, what people actually look like and (laughs) you you wish that some of them would just keep them on. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, Maple Leafs week. It's been, it's been wild. It's been up and down for some of them. Um, Let's kick it off with the the Giordano trade though first, and not to pump my own tires, but I think we talked about this uh, for a few episodes there, where I, I I suggested that the Leafs go out and get Giordano, and um, obviously you know being a Toronto kid, that's a, that's a great opportunity for him to wear the blue and white and, and play for his home his hometown team. Uh, they also picked up Colin Blackwell in the deal, and for me, I thought the deal was a good one for the Leafs. So they they didn't give up too much. 
Uh, they didn't give up their first round pick, which was key, I think, to do this. This this trade deadline was to hold on to that. And th- there's a potential that, you know, with Giordano being a free agent, that at the end of this season, he could potentially come back if he likes what he sees in playing in Toronto for maybe a cheaper deal. Um, Alex, I'll throw it to you first. Your thoughts on the Giordano deal and what he brings to the Maple Leafs going forward. Um, Yeah, I mean, like you said, they – they were able to make that trade without giving up a first round pick or one of their top prospects. So uh, I think right off the bat, yeah, it already looks like a good trade just because of that. But um, what I really like is just the fact that um, they've, they've, they've shored up their defensive core heading into the playoffs. You know that you're going to have Riley and Labushkin together. And I think that pairing has been very good. And then obviously you're reuniting Mark Giordano and TJ Brody. And I mean, that was one of the best defensive pairings in the league for, for, for a couple of years there. So uh, I, I think it's going to be awesome to see those guys reunited. Um, and I also think Blackwell is a very underrated acquisition, you know, based on what he was saying to the media and sort of um, describing to describing to reporters and stuff, what his game was like. He, he sounds a lot like he could be another Andre Kasha, Michael Bunting kind of player, you know, just a guy who goes out there every single shift, a guy, I think he described himself as an energy bug. So I mean, the, the more, the more energy bugs we can get on this team, the better. And uh, uh, you know what? He's, he's a guy who I think will uh, you can play him anywhere in the lineup because he plays both center and wing. Um, and I think the Leafs are starting him on the fourth line tonight, but I honestly could see him getting looks all throughout the lineup and namely on that second line with uh, John Tavares and William Nylander. I think um, so JT and Willie, it's been sort of commonly known over the past little bit that they, um, that they've been in a little bit of a slumper, you know, kind of off and on here and there. I think Matthews and Marner are kind of sealing the spotlight there. And if they ever need a guy on their wing, who's going to, uh, who's going to give them a spark and maybe an energy boost, I think Blackwell could fit the bill there. So if, you know, if they start, uh, if, if they, if they're still slowed down, then I think he's a guy you can put in there and give him a boost. But uh, yeah, I think they, I think they added in a lot of places and I've got no complaints. I think it was a great trade for them. And uh, yeah, like I said, giving up only the seconds and no, uh, no first round pick or top prospect is uh it's a win. Peter, uh, Alex mentioned that Blackwell could be a, a major piece moving forward. He's, he's kind of that energy bug. He's a guy that, you know, uh, can add some depth in the playoffs and, and be a playoff type of player for this league team that has struggled over the last few years in the first round. Um, what did you make of the deal? Um, I thought it was fantastic. Um, you know, your dress, I mean, obviously, Fans would have liked a goaltender. I mean, we saw that late to Mark Andre Fleury deal, and you know, even uh, uh, like on his own, he still would have gone for a first, and you know, and, and that still wasn't a price that Dubas was willing to pay. So, unless there was another cheaper option out there, maybe James Reimer, it just didn't quite work out. And you know, if Jack Campbell's coming out, you want him to be at his best, and you want to have faith in him because he's been, you know he's played extremely well at certain times, especially before his injury. So the hope is that he could get back to hit uh, that form. But, you know, aside from that defense was a major issue. I mean, they, I, yeah, they brought him the Bushkin, but they wanted to add in some more offensive awareness to that side. And Giordano is probably one of the top two way. Well, not, I wouldn't necessarily say top anymore because, you know, he is getting up there in age, but he's still an effective two way player, both offensively and defensively. And the fact that he has, you know, 20 plus points already in 55 games. I think it shows that despite being the, the age that he's at, he's still able to play at a very high competitive level and show that he's still 
you know, he, he kind of looks like his in his prime years when he was in his 20s and 30s. And that's when kind of when everything took off for him. So I'm kind of happy that he was able to come in. And yeah, I, I do think Blackwell is going to be a very underrated aspect or underrated piece as a part of that deal, mainly because you don't expect a 5'9 player to have that much of a significant impact, right? Um, but I remember, you know, Nick Richard from, uh, you know, uh, the Leafs Nation posted a video of a five foot nine Colin Blackwell leveling and laying out Marco Scandella, who's like way bigger than he is. And the fact that he has, a, he's 190 pounds, I think he's got some strength to him, obviously. And he was able to take him down. So I think this is a player that shows no fear. He shows that, you know, no matter who he's going up against, he's going to make life miserable for them. And whether it is in a fourth line role, third, or even in that second line role where he does take over for Kasha for the time being until he comes back, um, maybe I could provide a spark. I mean, we talked about a top six forward. I don't know if Blackwell is going to be there, but he has the ability to keep up with them and be that secondary player to the greatness that John Tavares and William Nylander are in terms of offensive capabilities. And if he's able to improve his offensive production, and get that line going, great. But then again, he could even be a factor on the third line or fourth as a bottom six. I think he, I, I would like to see him more on as a third pairing or a third line. But then again, you don't want to tamper with that Mikheyev, Camp, and Engvall line because they've been pretty solid. So I think you're looking at maybe two or four, him moving up and down the lineup because of his speed, his aggression. And you know what? You, you, Alex mentioned uh, his uh, description of like an energy bug. The last 11 to where... Uh, the last 11 for the Maple Leafs to be worn by, he was an energy bug too in Zach Hyman. So let's hope that trend continue, can continue. And I, yeah, I, I do think that Blackwell is going to be one piece that maybe fans are just, are just not even looking at completely and he's going to fly under the radar and then he's going to surprise quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, Blackwell's that type of guy that can play on the second, can play on the third, can play on the fourth. He's got that versatility. I think that's the biggest piece for, for a guy like him coming in. Um, and I do think like Alex pointed out, I think he plays that kind of bunting role on the second line. If, if you do put him there, he's going to be, he's going to go into the grimy areas, the, the corners, you know, fish out the puck, get it to the guys that, you know, are going to get the offense um, rolling. And, and I think that's key. So I, I think there's potential that you do see him, you know, maybe get an opportunity on the second line. We all know that Sheldon Keefe likes to mix up the lines uh, here and there. So it, it'll be interesting to see what he does there. Um, but yeah, I mean, going to Giordano, it's worth noting that when he won his Norris trophy, I know he won't be playing with TJ Brody, but he was playing with TJ Brody. Um, and so, I mean, worth noting that not all, like, I mean, I think we've seen it this season that, that Brody has a tendency to make the players that he plays with a lot better or at least look a lot better. Um, and, uh, you know, Giordano is known for being kind of that two-way guy. Uh, the Leafs are, I believe, 22nd in the league right now in, in scoring from their defense. So, I mean, to have to add that kind of offense, here's a guy that's got 12 shorthanded goals over his career as a defenseman, uh, undrafted, um, even on a team that has really struggled out of the gate this season uh, in Seattle, he's got 23 points in 55 games. He averages a point almost every two games um, over his career, a thousand games played. Um, and then on the, on the back end too, he, he does, you know, he, he throws his body around maybe not as much as he used to, but 46 hits and 98 block shots so far this season for the Seattle. 
Um, and, uh, you know, still averaging 21 minutes, uh, just over 21 minutes at, at 38 years old. So a guy that can definitely bring it. Um, he still looks so good. I mean, if you've watched any of the game tape from Seattle this season, like he can still skate with the best of them at 38. So this guy's in, in tip top shape, um, to add that veteran leadership, uh, on the, on the back end going into the playoffs. I think that's exactly what they needed to do. And I think it does make the goaltending better in, in, in the long run. So I think that's why it was probably good that the Leafs didn't go out and get a goaltender. Am I comfortable going in with Mrazek as my backup? Not exactly. Um, that said, I think, you know, having the, the, the six defensemen that they have right now with a healthy Jake Muzzin, hopefully going into the playoffs, uh, you're talking about a pretty scary, uh, defensive core. So, um, I love the deal. Uh, obviously, you know, we, we also said goodbye to Travis Dermott, um, which was inevitable, uh, you know, holding on to hall, you had to get rid of somebody to make room and Dermott was the odd man out. And unfortunately, you know, he just, uh, I don't think he ever lived up to expectation. I think he had a, had a decent career in Toronto, but he never lived up to expectation. Um, off to Vancouver, third round pick in return kind of makes up for that second that you, you ship off for Giordano. But Peter, any thoughts on on uh, Travis Dermott as a Leaf and, and heading out to, to the Vancouver Canucks? Um, before I get into that, I just want to add one more thing about Giordano. The biggest thing about him is, you know, his ability to deny entries into the zone and break up plays. So I think that's going to be huge and clear out some of that traffic in front of the net, which has been a problem for them lately. But um, yeah, and, I mean, going, going to Dermot, I mean, let's face it, he needed a fresh start. Um, I think this season was a make or break season for him. And Sheldon Keith noted that because Rasha Sandy was going to be a mainstay on that third pairing on the left-hand side. Dermot, at times when he was playing, um, he won it over at the start, but with the way that Timothy Lilligren progressed and when he was inserted to the lineup and he played extremely well, I think that kind of cemented his fate in that, you know, you got more consistency with Lilligren than you did with Dermot because there were times where maybe he would get pushed off quite a bit and his defensive miscues were off. Although, I mean, his offensive production and underlying numbers are pretty good. It's just he didn't have that consistency to stay in the lineup. And that fresh start in Vancouver will help him out because he has an opportunity to be a top four defenseman after they shipped out Travis Hamannick as well. Um, but, you know, obviously it hurts with the team because, you know, they're so close with him. Uh, they've been a part of this group for so long, um, especially the last five years with Dermot being a mainstay up with the team. Um it hurts, but you know what? Vancouver is getting a really good defenseman with some potential and still some upside left. Um, it just it was just unfortunate that you know other players in this lineup were vaulting past him. And that's that's just a product of how other players are developing, and you know, maybe just the, the consistency wasn't there. But I, I I just wish him nothing but the best. I mean, yeah, there were times where we were kind of hard on him, but at the same time, he did a lot of great things. And I think that that's why Vancouver is the best spot for him because he still got some potential and he has and he's in a better spot to do it. So that's my take on Dermot. Alex, um, still only 25 years old, so not, not not even close to maybe having or tailing off in his career. He's still a young guy, but five points in 43 games this season. Uh, 52 over his 251 games played with the Leafs during the regular season. I mean, he's a guy that plays bigger than he is. Um, how much of a loss, I guess, would you say Travis Dermott is moving forward, knowing that Giordano potentially doesn't come back next season and now you're leaning on some of the young guys? 
I wouldn't call it a loss for the Leafs at all. And that's nothing on Dermott, but you know, if he doesn't come back next year and Gio doesn't come back, then assuming you don't trade Jake Muzzin and he's still healthy, then you've got Riley Muzzin Sandine on the left side. So I think a main reason that they had to trade Travis Dermott, aside from the fact that, you know, he had kind of lost his spot in the lineup was just because they've got too much depth on that side. And obviously too much depth is never a bad thing, but for a guy like Dermott, he, you know, he's a player who's capable of being a regular NHL and regular NHL, right? Like, you know, the Leafs didn't really have him in a position where they could play him every game. And I always said that I, I think the fact that Rasmus Sandin really um, sort of developed quicker than anticipated. And I think the fact that Jake Muzzin, you know, they made that trade for him sort of right as Travis Dermott's career was starting. I think those two factors sort of stunted his growth beyond a bottom pairing defenseman. And, you know, I think going out to Vancouver, he's going to have a much better opportunity. He's going to have more playing time um, and a little less pressure on him too. Like the, the Vancouver Canucks, obviously you're playing for a Canadian team. So there's going to be pressure either way, but the Canucks are not the Toronto Maple Leafs. This is essentially like, I, I can't really dance around that point much more. So um, yeah, the Canucks aren't the Leafs. They won't have, he, he won't have a microscope on him. I would think, especially now that the Canucks are, I, they're sort of on their, they're sort of on the cusp of a playoff spot, but, no one's going to blame them if they miss the playoffs or no one's going to get flamed, I guess. So um, yeah, I think it was probably just the best move for all parties around. I think the fact Leafs are going to be able to get a third round pick out of it is good. Um, like you said, it makes up for some of the picks they traded. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I hope uh, that uh, he has nothing but the, uh, the best fortunes towards him in Vancouver, because uh, you know, like you said, I, I've never obviously, obviously never met the guy, but he seems like he's well-liked by his peers. He seems like uh, just a great person for the community on top of being a good hockey player. And uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully he gets a little more of an opportunity in Vancouver. So before we get into the Mrazic uh, on waivers talk that, you know, kind of took, took leaf Twitter by storm uh, leading into the deadline with the moves that were made, are the Maple Leafs better? Alex. So here's uh here's kind of where I'm at with this right now. Um, I think that if, sorry, I'm, I'm trying to gather my thoughts here in a coherent way. Um, I think the fact that um, any Leaf fans that are saying that, no, they, uh, they didn't get better on deadline day. I think, uh, hold on one second. Sorry, Forbes, you may have to cut this out right here. I'm just sort of, I'm trying to figure something out on my, uh, my screen. Loop loops. Okay, we're good. All right. Anyways. Um, so here's what I think about where, how the Leafs did on trade deadline day. You know, I think the fact that the Leafs didn't make any moves on deadline day has a real way of clouding what they did throughout the past month. And this happens literally every single year. And I'm going to die on this hill. Leaf fans are always convinced that the Leafs did less than their peers at the deadline because they're often so quiet on the actual deadline day. We were talking earlier on in the show about how, you know, there's a certain level of charm to sitting down in front of the TV and watching James Duffy and Ray Ferraro and Gord Miller and all these, all these analysts sit down and break these trades down one by one. And every time the Leafs make a trade around the deadline, they seem to do it, whether it's a month before, like they did with Jake Muzzin or the day before, like they did with Felino last year. And with, um, Giordano this year. And I guarantee you that if the Leafs make these moves on trade deadline day and we get the Giordano move, then 
uh, sorry, we get the Giordano move on the deadline and you've got the TSN guys sitting there breaking it down. I guarantee no Leaf fan is saying that they didn't do enough or that they didn't get better. Now, how the Leafs got better and how the Leafs stacked up next to their peers is an entirely different discussion. You can have your own opinions on how the Leafs stack up against Tampa Bay or Florida or anything, but if you're out here saying that they didn't do anything and that they sat on their hands, you're wrong. <laughs> like, you know, I always say that if the Leafs made their moves on deadline day, people would be, imagine, imagine how people would be talking about Kyle Dubas if he pulled that trade for Giordano off on Monday instead of on Sunday. I feel like there'd be more people saying this is a good deadline for Kyle Dubas. They added Giordano and Blackwell, and I'm, I'm even going to throw Labushkin in there, even though it wasn't, within the trade deadline uh, goalposts, I guess, but you know, it led up to Leafs. Yeah, exactly. The Leafs, the Leafs added all those guys. Um, Tampa Bay added Brandon Hagel, uh, Chicago, or sorry, not Chicago, Florida added Giroux and Ben Sherratt and um, Boston added Hampus Lindholm. So it's like the Leafs added just about as much as their rivals did. So that's, that's what I don't understand. Like you said, you can, you can form your own opinion on how, um, how the Leafs did at the deadline, or if you, if if the moves that they made really improved them compared to their peers, but to say that they didn't do anything or they sat on their hands and watched their opponents get better is just is just wrong. Uh, personally, I think that they did get better. I think that you know, anytime you can bring a guy like Mark Giordano into your defensive core, especially now with Jake Muzzin out, like when we've got that heavy, de- when we've got a fully healthy defensive core, I think that's probably. It's probably one of the best defensive cores the Leafs have had in recent memory. And I include last year and the year before in that. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, I think they did get better. They added a guy to their defensive core, um, a big veteran name like Mark Giordano. They added another guy like uh, like Andre Kasha and Michael Bunting and, and Colin Blackwell, who can really, you know, energize that forward group. And obviously there are still some questions to be asked about the goaltending. But um, my guess is that they're hoping Jack Campbell – you know, coming back fully healthy from this injury and behind an improved defensive core uh, with the confidence of Leafs management that they, you know, they believe in them that they can go all the way. I'm hoping that maybe Jack Campbell will find his game and, you know, be able to put that rough stretch behind him because otherwise they're going to be in trouble come the playoffs. But uh, as of right now, yeah, I like what they did. Peter, same question. Are the Leafs better with uh, the, the few ma- moves that they made at the deadline or going into the deadline? I mean, when you bring in one of the top trade targets in Giordano, obviously you want, you're 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 classified as a winner. Maybe not as much as like you know as high as maybe you know Florida or you know the New York Rangers with Andrew Copper or whatever. But they they still they they still brought in a really good name and it's still an impactful one at that. So yeah, they, I I think they did do enough at the deadline, even though it wasn't on deadline day. But just to further Alex's point, you know, when Florida traded for Sherratt. Obviously, we were, you know, scoffing at the price that Florida uh, gave for Sherratt, but it was a win for Montreal to get that kind of return. You saw the price that Tampa Bay gave up for Hagel, so we were, like, getting a little bit worried. And then Boston traded for Hampus Lindholm, which I did not really expect that to happen, but it did, and they signed him. And it's like, okay, well, you know what? Two teams ahead of Toronto, one chasing them, did a move. So, so like, it was, like, basically Kyle Dubas. You're down the clock, your time. And he goes out and he gets a top four defenseman and a really solid bot, uh, middle six, bottom six forward. Matching that, what his other teams did. That to me is a fantastic deadline. Um, you know, everyone is going to say, oh, you didn't do enough. Oh, we're going to another first round exit today. Yada, 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 yada. Oh, shut up. You know, um, 
again, they he said it best uh, before the game. There's uh, against the New Jersey Devils. There's 20 games left. You're facing Florida, Tampa, and Boston quite a bit. You control your fate and you decide how you're going to play those 20 games. I, I, I don't know if that's exactly what it said, but it was along those lines. I'll try and find the exact quote. Um, I believe he told them that this is our group. And this is our group. We've got seven games out of the next 20 or the final 20 against yeah. those three teams. Basically, yeah, you control the fate, your fate. Yeah, that was from Jonas Siegel. Uh, so, yeah, he did mention seven out of those 20 games. Florida, Tampa, Boston, we got a lot of opportunity to control our own situation. That, to me, is what you want from a coach to say, hey, you know, we, we know the struggles. We know what the issues are. We know what the backlash is going to be. I hope this message sinks in because this could be a game changer for them. They have the pieces to do it. Jack, again, Jack Campbell with his injury, that was probably a factor in his recent play, was, up for, was, in, was in talks for the Vesna. Austin Matthews is having a heart heart like season. Mitch Marner, despite a very, very slow start, is now one of the top producers since January. I, I mean, you're looking at John Tavares, who isn't scoring as much, is still on pace for a really decent season. William Meanlander scoring despite his inconsistencies lately. Even with some of the issues, the offense is there. And again, if this defense holds up, then you do have a makings of a really solid, talented playoff team. And that's going to be a major issue going forward. And I'm just going to say this, other teams that are in a playoff spot, I, I'm looking at Carolina, I'm looking at Washington, I'm even looking at the Edmonton Oilers. Carolina is sitting comfortably in first, but I would have thought that they would have done a major move. Washington is barely holding on to a wild card spot right now. And Edmonton Oilers are in third, but that Western Conference is looking pretty close as well with Nashville and Dallas in, in that conversation right now. I would have thought that they would have done more to try and improve their situation. If everyone is saying, oh, Toronto had a bad deadline day, I'm looking at those three teams and saying they had a worse one because they're in a worse spot than the Maple Leafs at this point. Toronto's locked for a playoff spot at this point. Where they're going to be is good, is the major question. So I, I honestly do think that it was enough. Yeah, you could have argued another top six. You could have argued a goalie. But let's face it, if I'm if I'm a betting man and I'm not, I do think Jack Campbell is going to bounce back. And if I'm wrong, then you could quote me on this and say that, hey, look at this idiot over here kind of thing. But yeah, um, with the forward group that they have, with the defense and the hope that Jack Campbell can come back, I think they did enough. And I think that this is going to be a really interesting stretch for them because now they control their own fate. I'm going to go as far as saying that the, the, the three teams within that top four in the Atlantic didn't or needed to add more than the Leafs. I don't think the Leafs needed to add as much as those teams. So you mm-hmm. look at Tampa Bay, their cups came with a third line that included Goudreau, uh, Coleman and uh, Yanni Gord. Gord. They lost all three of those guys. That that line was key to their two Stanley yeah. Cup runs. Um, Florida, I mean, they have a great top six. Their defense is, is not bad. Uh, but with Ekblad's injuries the last couple of years, there's a lot of question marks there. Bobrovsky was another big question mark. Yes, Spencer Knight has, has stepped up at times. But again, the goaltending was a question mark there. Boston, obviously, you know, they're running with Swayman um, and... Uh, and Linus Allmark, um, and and goaltending is a question there. I mean, you've got 
arguably one of the best lines in all of hockey. Taylor Hall hasn't really lived up to expectations. I know he wanted to be a secondary thought or maybe even a tertiary thought when it comes to, you know, what he, uh, what he brings to the, to the team. And and he's doing just that, but um, there's a lot of depth questions there with the Leafs. You had your number one line. You had a second line that we know can produce. You just have to find the piece that goes with JT and and Nylander. Um, And then you had a third line that was finding ways of getting stuff done as well with, with Mikheyev, Kampf and uh, well, Kasha at the time. But um, so you insert somebody there, let's say Kerfoot or whoever, and then your fourth line, you let's say you add Blackwell to that fourth line. All of a sudden you've got Simmons, Spezza and Blackwell on that fourth line. The depth is there. The depth is there. I mean, Spezza is still putting up 20 points at, you know, 40 plus years old. Um, and then you've got, you've got the, all you needed really was the back end. You, you, you clean up the back end. I know goaltending was a major question. Um, Mrazek's never going to be a one a, uh, but the expectation is that he can come in and be a legitimate one B. And, uh, you know, I think I'm hoping that this is a wake up call for him, you know, with the waiver, you know, but being put on waivers at the deadline, uh, Toronto exploring other opportunities in, in Harry Sateri. Um, and I, I'm going to get to that in one second here, but I mean, there, there was, to me, that's a little bit of a, a shot at Peter Mrazek and saying like, we need better. And hmm. the hope is that Jack Campbell's going to come back fully healthy. The hope is that, that, that rib injury was bugging him, you know, leading up to it. Uh, and that was causing his, his decline in numbers. Um, but for me, the Leafs didn't need to add as much. So when you go out and get a guy like Giordano and you get a guy like Blackwell and you, you add that little bit of, I'm going to call it playoff pedigree. I think you've, you've filled the holes that you need to fill. And for me, it's not, it's not a, a case of they didn't do enough. Um, I think what happens with trade deadline is a lot. And this goes for every, every fan base. I think they go into, you know, the trade deadline with expectations and when their expectations aren't met, that's when they say, okay, well, my team didn't do enough. And I think that's what happened with Leafs nation. Everyone was talking about Mark Andre Fleury leading up. Um, and, and there was, I, you know, the asking price for me, if he, if, if they make the conference finals, I believe they get a first round pick. Well, Dubas stated, he didn't want to give up a first round pick for a rental. Do we trust and, the Leafs to get to the conference finals this year? Like, but even then, even then though, they didn't have a second to give up if, if that was the case. Right. So mm-hmm. now that, and, and I, me personally, I think the asking price would have been higher for the Leafs to get Marc-Andre Fleury than it would have been for the Minnesota wild. Cause you're um, desperate. Right. And, and especially now I, I can tell you there's the relationship between Chicago and Toronto is going to be an absolute joke um, because of, you know, whether it was Davidson or one of his people, you know, kind of leaking the, the, the trade opportunity for the Leafs. But um, yeah, I, I just think, I think the Leafs are better. I, I think the Leafs are better. I think getting Giordano and getting him in now, it gives you the opportunity to impress him and possibly bring him back at a cheaper price. And maybe he's on your bottom pairing going into 22, 23. Um, I think what they did was they, they added exactly what they need to add. And I think this is going to be an impressive team if they can put it all together all at once. That's going to be the key. They got to put it all together. And I love what Keith said. You've got 35% of your remaining games are against the teams that you're fighting with in the Atlantic division. It's your, your choice, whether you get it done or not. At the end of the day, if you don't get it done, you're not going to make it. If you do great. Um, But they're in tough. They're in tough in the first round, uh, no matter where they finish. So 
yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I like what they did. I think they got better and, and I think it was a good deadline for them. They stayed quiet. They didn't jeopardize their future for me. Um, Tampa de- jeopardized their future in, in giving up what they did for, for Brandon Hagel. Uh, I think you give up two first. That's a, that's a big, that's a big ask, uh, especially in a, in a salary cap age. Um, I will but, add that they have the right to because they're back-to-back cup champs. Absolutely. I mean, oh, absolutely. They can do whatever they want, basically, in, in essence. And but, when 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 they made that move, I, I did tweet out saying that I think they understand that this is kind of their last hurrah with this, this group, right? Like mm-hmm. Tampa Bay cannot continue to do this and just add like bottom six pieces and hope yeah. that they're going to be competitive. So this was their chance to, to kind of get a guy 23 years old. Um, under good control. Under good control. He, he's, he's, he's a relatively uh, good offensive addition. Um, and you know, if you add them for, for what you did and you get maybe one or two more runs out of it, why not? Yeah. I will also add that. Sorry, Alex, just one quick quick thing about the defense. Um, even if Jack Campbell, I mean, everyone is just saying, even if Jack Campbell doesn't have the 940 save percentage or the run that he had before, and if it, and if it just becomes average at 920 ish, let's say this defense is able to hold down the fort and let's hope that it is capable and more competitive than it was before to try and alleviate some of that pressure, either off Campbell, off Shalgren or off Morazic. So I'm thinking bringing in Giordano, that's going to help them out in that, in that regard. So that way it won't be, you won't see too many easy deflects. Like we saw with the Ely Tovan and Gore, or like those two, three bounces against the Detroit Red Wings. Cause those games killed them. And hopefully this is that mindset where, Hey, we're going to be better in front of our nets. It's up to the defense now to help each other out and vice versa. Just real quick before we move on here, I'm going to quote a tweet from my, one of my favorite follows on Twitter. Um, the Oak Leafs at the Oak Leafs on Twitter, active stick. This guy's got a way of every single time something happens, whether it's He's positive, or, whether it's positive or negative, this guy perfectly captures what sums I'm thinking up. and yes, yeah, sums it up. Exactly. So he tweets this after the trade deadline on Monday. Again, IMO the Leafs roster as it stands is good enough to do as much damage as almost any top tier team. If the big dogs do their job, we'll be okay. If they don't, there was no deadline piece they could have acquired today that would save them from themselves. Like, can you? There you go. Can you? Can you put it out there any better than that? Like, uh, louder for the people in back. Thinking, you know, obviously that that tweet doesn't include Jack Campbell getting his game back, and obviously there are some still some question marks in that regard. But bottom line is, Leafs should have. The Leafs could have made the Cup final last year. If their top guys showed up and they could have made the cup final last year, they could have probably made the cup final in any of almost any of the seasons in the Matthews era. Um, obviously, actually, uh, you know, it, it's mostly come down to the top guys doing their job in the past couple of years. So that, that uh, those runs more so than earlier, but either way, like Matthews shows up, Marner shows up. If the entire team shows up and they get good goaltending there, there's no reason they shouldn't make it at least to the conference final. I will also argue, I would, I, I believe it was in game six. If Alex Galchenyuk didn't do that floater backhand, I'm not sure who was, who, I'm not sure who was on that far wing, but someone was wide open. If it wasn't a backhand and it was a forehand pass and he got across and he was, and I, I again, I'm going to have to go back and look at the tape. If that player was wide open, it gets it past Carey Price. Series is over. You would not have that 2 on 0 with Caulfield and Suzuki, and that would not have turned the tides. Mm-hmm. So I think, and they had the momentum with Jake Muzzin's two goals in the third period. Puck was in their end. 
it that would have been a different scenario. You want to bring up the Dermot uh, giveaway in his yeah, own zone that was, as well? Yeah, Dermot. Oh, wait, Dermot that was five. Then yeah. six was in Montreal. Okay, so yeah. correction yeah, six there. Sorry, yeah. six was Dermot. Yeah, yeah that's. Yeah, I know there were some some big mistakes down the stretch, but I, I do agree with you, Alex. I think you know nothing they would have nothing they would have done at this deadline would change change yeah. the outcome of this mm-hmm. season. If the Leafs fizzle out in the first round, we're not going to be sitting here thinking, "Oh yeah, fuck!" If they just went out and traded for Mar- Hampus Lindholm instead of Mark Giordano, <laughs> then they would have made up out of the first yeah. round. Or yeah. oh, if they just forked over those two first round picks for Brandon Hagel, then they'd be out of the first round. It's like no, <laughs> honestly, the only- Connor Garland. Yeah, honestly, I'd go for Connor Garland. Oh my god! Hey, you're hopping huge. on the train, man. That's all that matters. Oh, I've been on the, I've been on the train this whole time, <laughs> just very quietly. I'm not as vocal about there it you as go. you are. <laughs> so, boys, at the deadline, Morazic was placed on uh, on waivers uh, in an attempt to give the Leafs enough space to make a deal if the right deal came up. Opened up some cap space. Obviously, they went out and, and signed Harry Sateri, uh, won gold with Finland. I love that name. I absolutely love that name. Um, one gold with Finland at the Olympics. Um, but I'm just reading a, a tweet here as well that on the on the most recent episode of 32 Thoughts with uh, Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick, Friedman says that at least four or five claims were in on Harry Sateri when he had to clear waivers with the Leafs. And Merrick added that when he checked with some of the teams um, during the waiver period, they all said, we're not going to do it, but we hope somebody else does. So there was obviously an inkling to, to, to find a way to take Sateri off the Leafs. That was, that was, that was the goal. No matter what, somebody wanted to do it. Somebody inside did. job, inside job, <laughs> um, conspiracy start Leafs nation. Here we go. But uh, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I, as I mentioned, I think it was a wake up call for Peter Mrazek and We've heard some of his qu- quotes this this season already. You know, I've been here before. A W is a W. But he comes back after the waiver wire and says, you know, this is a full reset for me. My question to you, and I'll start with uh, I'll start with Peter here. My question to you is: Are you buying this one? That's a tough one. Um. I want to believe him, but I'm not going to unless I see results. Does that make, does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Like I, I, I want him to succeed. I want him to do well and I want him to meet it. But until then it's just empty words. It's an empty promise to me. Um, you, you've heard uh, Keith say that he needs a full reset. This is, this was a wake up call for him. Great. You got the coach's attention. Dubas put him on waivers, although it was to clear up space in order to make the transaction happen. It was one that needed to be done because a it's 3.8 million. That's a hell of a lot of money for a backup goaltender who's struggling a lot lately. And I mean, like a lot, his last, his last save percentage over 900 was on February 28th against the Washington capitals eight across the board. And then 667 against the Arizona coyotes. If he's able to turn it around again, Perfect, but I, I I can't remember what I was. It was I believe it was JT Boring Kiprios, and they had Mike McKenna on, and they were talking about it, the same question: if Peter Morazic can turn things around. Mike McKenna, I don't, I, I believe he said he doesn't believe it because he, you look at his play, he's way too aggressive in decrease. 
you got to have some control in your movement and your side to sides and everything like that. And he comes out way too far outside of his crease. Um, saw that in Arizona twice with the Gauchenia goal and even the Chikrin slap shot, which I still don't understand how it got in, but whatever it went in. Um, he said that he hasn't had a goalie coach to help him out throughout this whole entire time or until he like was 17. And then later on, he got a goalie coach. But even then, you've had all year to try and work out, you know, the rust, the inconsistencies and the issues in your game. If by now you haven't worked it out, it's not going to work out. I don't think so at all that, I mean, if he, again, if he does great, but the fact that he's had multiple chance and chance and chance time after time again, nothing's come out of it. It's still the same Peter Morazzi. It's still the same player coming up with bad goals every now and then. And he looked to have turned a corner in the first 30 minutes against Buffalo. And then all of a sudden, boom, deflection off the Brody skate. Although, you know, it was a deflection. He was hogging the post way too much and he didn't even realize where the puck was. He can't even track it properly. And then he lets in that soft goal again from Henestroza. Where's the line? It's all on him right now. And it's up to him to try and turn it around because Keith could only do so much. I believe Steve Breer could only do so much to try and help him work his situation out. And if anything, there's going to be something worse than just going on waivers to try and send a message. I know, I mean, I know teams are calling him or are calling about him before all this happened. So what does that do to your trade value? It's nothing. If teams are seeing what they're seeing right now, oh, I'm not going to pay for this goalie. What, 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 what am I going to get in return? But like just at, like below 900, 880s all the time? No. So it's up to him to turn it around. And if so, great. But again, we, we need to see results. It's just an empty promise. To answer your inadvertent question, I think, you know, where's the line? I don't think, I think that's the problem. I think Peter Morazic forgot where the line is and that's why he's letting so many pucks cross it. But um, I mean, to, to give up two goals to Vinny Hinnestroza, I think, I think you've hit rock bottom. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, for me, like, I, I think he genuinely means it. Yeah. I just don't think he knows how to turn it around. Um, mm-hmm. And, and that's the problem. I think you've got it. You've got such a good team playing in front of you and a team that can, yeah, put up six, seven, eight goals some nights and still you're losing games. I don't, I don't know. Uh, Alex, what are your thoughts on Peter Morazic's latest uh, soundbite? Honestly, I'm not overthinking it because the way I see it, he either does well tonight and over his next couple of starts, or he doesn't play for the Leafs ever again. Honestly. Yeah. And you know what? I, I tried saying something to this effect on Twitter earlier today. And just for, you know, for context, this is during the day before the Leafs play the devils when we're recording. So that just to have an idea of when I'm saying this, um, I tried, I tried saying something to this effect and, you know, people were coming into my mentions and saying, Oh, well, how many, how many times have we, we're going to, we're going to give Peter Morazic a chance. You know, he's gotten 5 million chances in a row. And yes, honestly, Absolutely. He has gotten probably too many chances at this point. You know, how many times have we sat here and said, oh, this is a real good opportunity for Peter Morazic to take the crease, whether it was at the start of when Campbell was struggling or when Campbell went down with an injury. It seems like there have been a million times and a million opportunities for Morazic to claim the crease, and he hasn't. So to answer your question, Forbes, I don't know if he's going to turn it around. And I frankly, I don't, I don't really care 
Like if he does turn it around, then that's great. I think that's what we should all be rooting for. I saw some people saying they'd rather just, you know, get him out of Toronto and get rid of his contract instead of, you know, wish for him to be better. And I think that's stupid. I think, you know, you're paying this guy for a reason. We were all optimistic about him before the season started. I think, you know, you look at his career and you look at the way that he's played throughout the course of his career. He is definitely capable of turning it around. Like the numbers suggest yeah. that he can turn around and be a better goalie than he has been. Now this is the worst hockey he's played in his entire career by a wide margin. So I, the, like the numbers are there. He can turn it around. He it's possible. Like we're not asking this guy who's never played, you know, you know, he, Say, say if it was Shogren dropping these numbers at that point, it'd be a little, it would be a little bit weird to ask Shogren to all of a sudden find his game out of nowhere. But for Peter Morazic, you know, this guy's been an established NHL goalie for years now, so he can turn it around, but it just leads me to believe that this time more than any of the other times is his last chance because we've seen now what Eric Shogren's able to do. We've seen that he's able to, you know, he's able to save all 35 shots. He's able to be calm in his crease. And Keith used a great term to describe him today. He did a great job stabilizing the crease when the Leafs really needed them to. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we've seen that Chagrin has that, has that ability to stabilize the crease. We've seen that he can have these good starts. So at this point, if Marazic can't do anything now, then when is he going to get it back? The answer is not, he won't because Jack Campbell's going to come back and Jack Campbell, like we've talked about on this show before he has had, um, a better time this year than Mrazek has overall. And he's played at a level this year that you can ask him to get back to. Mrazek hasn't played at that level yet, but he has earlier on in his career. So it's a little bit bigger of an ask, but it, it, it's possible. So yeah, I don't know. I'm just not overthinking it because I know if Mrazek goes out against the devils and he lets in four to five goals, or if he, you know, the, the back-to-back coming up, if he, if he lets in four or five goals there and he proves that he still can't be relied on to make a save at that point, then you know that you can trust Shogren. And I think you're just going to wait it out until Cam Campbell gets back and then put Morazic on waivers for good. But um, you know, I like the fact that the Leafs put him on waivers because I think that if nothing else, it could be a bit of a culture shock for him. Just like he said, that's never happened to him before. So I think that's a real way of sending a message to him and saying, listen, bud, this is your last chance. Like you want to be playing in the NHL this year. You have to make something in these next couple of starts, or we're going to call up a guy who costs less and we know can do the job. So yeah, uh, I'm not overthinking it. I'm just going to see how it plays out. If he plays great. And I really hope he does. Then maybe, maybe we don't have a big question in the crease answer after all towards the, towards the playoffs. But if he shits the bed again, then whatever, like he's not going to play for the team anymore. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you're paying the guy three point eight million. You're not going to just, you're not just going to sit him. Like you got to, you got to get it, get him in there, and see what you can do with him. Yeah. He's played for worse teams. That's the crazy part about this. He's played yeah. for worse teams, and he's put up incredible numbers when he did that. Um, whatever's going on in his head, it's like it's like when Chuck Knobloch couldn't throw to first base. Um, it's it's almost like he's got the. Uh, what do they call him in baseball? Fuck. I don't know. Anyway, it's like, he's got this little like thing in his head where he can't get it done. He just can't get it done. He can't get over the hump. And I think all he needs is a little bit of confidence. I really do. I, I joke a lot about it. Um, but I think if you, if you get him and Jack Campbell, the confidence that they had, you know, Campbell at the beginning of the season, Mrazek, you know, earlier in his career, all of a sudden you're talking about a, a pretty damn good tandem. And like you said, Alex, we're not, we're not questioning them going into the playoffs, but they need to get there. 
They've got mm-hmm. 20 games to do it. They need to get there. Uh, otherwise, you know, we're going to be sitting here in, in June talking about a first round exit all, all over again. So mm-hmm. um, that's why Dubas brought Morazic in to try and have that stability. And that, you know, al- although the price was may have been a little bit high at the time, but even if you signed up to like 3.53 million, I mean, you brought him for stability. He had, he did have a good track record. And like you said, he, he was putting up good numbers on bad teams before. And then he had a good season despite the injuries last year with Carolina. And he comes over to a relatively stable team. That's just like Carolina. And then this happens. So I, I, again, the faith is there and you want to have it, but it, it, like Alex said, and I, and again, I guess we're all in agreement here. This is, this is the final straw. This is his last chance to yeah. try and make a point. I, I, yeah, I can't, I honestly just can't see a situation after these next couple of games when Keith is going to, <laughs> when Keith is not only going to have the confidence, but when he's even going to, you know, have the motivation to start, to Morazic. Like, mm-hmm. I think after that, you know, he's going to, if Morazic blows this chance of all of them, then I, I think, I think Keith would be more comfortable starting Eric Shalgren over and over going into the playoffs. Oh, yeah. Even if camp, even if Jack Campbell doesn't get it back, I think that in the end, Sheldon Keith knows that the Leafs have to win games. And, you know, I, I hate the idea that they're, that they're doing this for Morazic's feelings because they don't want him to feel bad. It's like, no, it's because as of right now, because they didn't make a trade yesterday, their literal best case scenario was that Peter Morazic finds his game again. So yeah. you got to do as much as you can to make that happen. And obviously if, you know, Morazic shits the bed again, then they're not going to do it because there's not going to be any hope left. But I, I, I think there still is that tiny shred of hope that he can find it, but um, he's going to have to prove it. Cause like he said, like no one, no, at this point, no one's convinced. So. It seems like. Time after time, the Blackhawks this season have made headlines, whether it was in the offseason with the uh, the Kyle Beach uh, stuff going on or the consistent outbursts from Rocky Wirtz um, to now a leak in the system. There's a leak in the system in, in Chicago, and you don't hear it very often, but basically Kyle Dubas said, you know, talk to Kyle Davidson about why this information got out, how it got out uh, about the, the possibility of, of the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Chicago Blackhawks making a Hagel flurry deal that included Matthew Nye's couple first round picks and Peter Morazic and so forth and so on. Um, Peter, I, I'm going to throw it to you quickly about, uh, you know, your thoughts on, on, where this came from and, and how I, I wrote a quick piece afterwards, how this affects the Blackhawks and the Maple Leafs going forward in terms of making deals. Yeah. I honestly, like you never hear, like you hear of like deals fall apart and you say, Oh, you know, they were in heavy conversations about this, this, and this, or like player X and player Y, but you don't give the full details. This, like, I believe it was Dreger that tweeted out the um, mm-hmm. trade proposal, was it? Yeah. So when I saw that, I'm okay, when I first saw that, I'm just thinking, okay, I saw Matthew Nyes. I'm not even touching this deal at all. I'm denying it, whatever. The fact that Dubas had to say, you know, I talked to him about this, then it leads me to believe that he was the one that leaked it out. And you don't hear of anything like that at all. And it's very odd um, and now that the fact that there's some beef between the two, um, I don't know. It, it just kind of, it doesn't, 
how do I put it this way? It kind of feels like those like high school gossip kind of things or whatever, like drama. I, I think we're looking too much into this, but at the same time, if there's like an unwritten rule where you don't release a full trade detail when it didn't even happen and it's irrelevant, then what's the point of even talking about it? It didn't happen. It didn't go through whatever. Um, but yeah, I just found it really odd, really, you know, I, I mean, obviously if Dubas, Dubas didn't send anything out or if he didn't say, say anything, he would have owned up to it. So it leads me to believe that Davidson was the one that leaked it out. Um, yeah, I, I, it just doesn't make sense. Like, why would you do that? But yeah, that, that, that that's just my take. Alex, uh, I mean, there's always speculation when, when deals fall through. There's always speculation of what what was involved. Um, and, and credit to Darren Dreger for actually, you know, breaking this this story, I guess. Um, but are we overthinking this whole Kyle versus Kyle? Or are we, uh, you know, is it something that maybe maybe affects the, the, the two GMs moving forward um, when it comes to making further deals? I mean, I, I think it'll probably affect things a little bit, but it won't be to the point where, you know, it's, it's like a, it's like a beef that's well known amongst the fans, like Kyle versus mm-hmm. Kyle. Like I think people who are trying to set up like a, like a UFC card between these two are probably going to be disappointed. Um, I think it's just the fact that we only get like one or two. Or, okay. That's maybe, a, maybe a little bit undercutting a little bit, but you know, we only get a handful of media appearances from Kyle Dubas per year. Right. So you know, for him to come out like this and drop a little bomb like that, it's got people talking a little bit more. And I think that kind of adds to it. Uh, otherwise, who knows how that trade luck got leaked. If Kyle Davidson, you know, told someone and told him to keep it confidential and then that person leaked it or however, uh, I, I don't know. Um, I will say though, what a, what, what a shocking coincidence. All of a sudden the Blackhawks are struggling to keep information confidential. I thought that was an area that they, uh, they uh, were ex- experts in. Oh man. Yeah, I didn't make. I, I was not the first to make that joke. By the way, I saw a million no, people I, say that yesterday. I just wanted to. I just wanted to put it out there. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that as well. Yeah, no, it's it, that that one's kind of surfing over the Twitterverse mm-hmm. a little bit, but um, yeah, no, I, I I'm kind of with you guys on this one. I think, you know, at at the end of the day, it is what it is. I do think it affects a little bit because there's going to be a small little 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 bit of a trust issue there going forward. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it is what it is. Like, I think it's more like um, when you if you're in Dubas's spot, you you don't want players like maybe per, Peter Morazic thinking that you had a trade worked out that involved his name, mm-hmm. and and you know you want to you want to keep that kind of information close and yeah to do that you know and especially the situation that he's in. Yeah, fire out another uh, conspiracy theory here that uh, the Blackhawks were just trying to mess with the the Goldies' minds in Toronto. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm all just, over conspiracy can, theories today. Can I just say though that while we're on this topic, oh my god, is it ever is it ever just like a blessing to the fullest extent that the Leafs did or is that the Leafs did not pull the trigger on that Hagel trade? Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Oh man, I'm sorry. Two first round picks for Brandon. Two first round picks and Matthew Nice for Brandon Hagel. Let that yeah. sink like in. I said. I saw Matthew Nyes in there. I'm just like, nope. I'm like, if, I that, have, if that was a piece of paper, I, I'd crumple that up and throw it in the trash because I'm not have, making that deal at all. I wouldn't have done two first round picks and Nyes for Hagel. I wouldn't have done. I wouldn't have done a first and uh, and sorry and Flurry. I keep I keep short sighting Flurry. Here, yeah, I wouldn't have done two first rounders and and Nyes for those guys. I would not have done a first and Nyes for those guys. I wouldn't have done just Nyes for those guys. 
You can call me on a hot yeah. take there if you want, but I, I think, you know, Brandon Hagel is great of a player as he is. And as much as I think he really would have fit in with this team, guys only played a handful over a hundred games in the NHL. He's got, he's shooting at a pretty high clip this year. And yes, he has a year of term left, but still, I think he's a little too unproven in the league to pay that sort of price for him. I think that's a little much. So uh, yeah, great thing that the Leafs didn't accept that trade because, you know, the, I understand going all in, but don't mortgage your future just to, just to outclass your mm-hmm. opponents, I guess, if that's, that's how you want to put it. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I saw the return that Tampa gave up and I, st- I still don't like it. I, I understand oh, why yeah. they did it. I, I just, I, I, it still blows my mind that they gave up that much for it, but. Well, um, when you've won two cups in a row, you can do that. Yeah. When you've won two cups in a row, the, the rules are non-existent at that <laughs> point. Like you, you know, but you bought a couple of drafts. Fuck who cares? You won the cup in 2020 and 2021, but the Leafs can't say that they've, they've, they've been knocked out of the first yeah. round five years in a row. So that would have looked a lot worse on them if they mortgaged their, if they mortgaged their future, just to, mm-hmm. just to trade for a guy to lead them to another first round exit. Yeah, no, no, I, I, and I gather that I just, again, I still, I mean, two first, you don't know what you're getting. Like yeah. Tampa could get seven injuries, key injuries next season and be absolute shit. And they've just given up a top 10 pick. Yeah. You know, like it's not realistic, but yeah, yeah. you know, that's, that's why you protect that's the, those picks. hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, speaking of Matthew Nye's, uh, there's, there's talk that there's, uh, that Dubas left some room on the roster to sign their collegiate players. Once their seasons are done. Um, Nye's obviously got the Olympic, uh, experience this season. He's had a great year, at, uh, at college, uh, Alex, your thoughts on the possibility that maybe we see Matthew Nyes to close out the year. This is really tough because it's one of those things where, you know, the brain wants something different than what the heart wants. And, you know, my heart wants Matthew Nyes to, to sign this contract because I think it'd be amazing. You know, the Leafs just drafted this guy in the second round and all of a sudden you're giving him an opportunity to slide right in on this among this talented forward group and do some damage in the playoffs. Like I think that's enough to excite every Leaf fan, but um, the realistic side of my brain says that I, I, I almost don't want them to sign uh, Nyes at least because I'd like to see him come go back to school for a couple of years and really develop before the before the Leafs bring him to the NHL. Um, but if they do that, I just really hope that they give him proper opportunities and don't just waste him on the fourth line. Um, you know, I don't really want I, I don't want to, I don't want to see the Leafs sign Matthew Nyes and Nick Abrazzese just to give him the Nick Robertson on the fourth line treatment, give him like five minutes a night alongside Jason Spezza and Wayne Simmons, like no disrespect to those guys, but you know, especially for a guy like nice, if you're going to sign him and give him an opportunity to do some damage, you got to give him a legitimate look in my opinion. Um, so yeah, I'd like to, I think I'd prefer to see them go back to school. Well, not, maybe not ever but nice because he's only what 19, 20 years old right now. Like I think he could, um, I, I think he could benefit from a couple more years at school. Having said that, I think if the Leafs were to sign him, it would be super exciting. And I'd want to see them in a, in a proper role where they can actually do some damage. And um, if they're not going to play them there, then if you're going to sign those guys, send them to the AHL and give them top line minutes with the Marlies, because I think your, your development is better served over there. And um, the Leafs have guys that they can sub in on that fourth line. If, if they need to, you know, they've got the Joey Anderson's there. They've got the Alex Steves, like they've got guys who, you know, you can get away with sticking on the fourth line and not stunting their, their, their growth or their development. So uh, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. If it happens, great. Just make this, make their stay worthwhile. Your thoughts on the possibility that we get to see him, uh, Peter. Um, I agree with Alex that, you know, you, 
you don't want to jump the gun on this because, you know, he is a promising talent. He is a top prospect in your system. And if you do great, obviously you want to try and put him up higher in the lineup. And if not, then you can just send him to the AHL. He would probably benefit from some time there. If he, if he chooses to go pro um, same with every obviously both players are top prospects for a reason. And that's why I think maybe there were talks that maybe teams were lining up for them in order to make a big deal because they're, they're that great. <laughs> um, I would argue that, yeah, I would like to see Nyes higher up in the line by, instead of just playing five minutes. But then again, you know, in any situation with any rookie whatsoever, unless you're like highly regarded talent, like a Matthews McDavid or whatever, you're not, you're not going to be playing in a bottom six row. I think they want to see a little bit from him to see how he adapts. Cause we've seen how well he can adapt previously before. Um, we saw like, you know, adapting into a situation in his draft year where he had COVID a rough start and he progressed better throughout the whole entire season. And he was at one point supposed to be a first round pick. And then, you know, kind of stock kind of dipped. We saw how well he adapted as a freshman, putting up stellar numbers in college. We saw how well he adapted to the senior level in the Olympic games. Although, you know, two points or four games may not seem like a lot. He still did a lot of great things. We saw how well, he he or not we we saw how well because that's about it but we could see how well he could adapt to the nhl level he's already had experience playing against men already at the olympics want to give him that opportunity here and i'd argue that you know if he i don't think they would would just literally play him five minutes a game i think they would try to give him more ice time on that fourth line because he could do a lot of things he has the size he has the speed and he has the physicality but where he gives him a bit of an extra boost on the fourth line is the skill um, you see that with Spezza at times a bit. You don't see that quite with Wayne Simmons, but you see the speed and the physicality. You have the skill set and you have someone that can finish on that line and can be a really good point producer and an underrated factor. So that's where I'm at with Nice because he has, he, 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 his, his, like right now, if you were to insert him right now, he would probably be a great fourth liner, but where he has a strength compared to others is the finishing ability the hands, the shot, the awareness to get open, everything. I think he could do a lot of damage, even in a fourth line role, if that were the case. So um, again, obviously it's up in the air. Obviously you want to see him develop properly, but if he gets that opportunity and he plays well and adapts, why not? Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing him come in, maybe maybe throw Blackwell in that fourth line, move Kerfoot down with Kosh out and, and throw him on with JT and for a little bit. Give him yeah. an opportunity. See your audition. I mean, you've you've seen what he can do at the collegiate level. You've seen what he can do uh, at the Olympic level, international mm-hmm. play, um, albeit not against uh, NHL players. But, you know, why not give him a shot? It's not like you're going in the playoffs with him and, and you know, see what he can do. Yeah. Uh, that said, I know, I know Robertson's there as well. So, I mean – the thing is Toronto's got so many options right now and to, 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 to maybe set, it's a great problem to have. have, And and maybe you don't see him at the NHL level. Maybe you see him at the AHL level and, and, you know, he gets an opportunity to, to kind of kickstart them, the Marlies a little bit, but um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what he does once the collegiate season is, is done. Uh, As for the Maple Leafs, and signing players, they did sign Oakville native uh, Curtis Douglas to a two-year entry-level contract, uh, which kicks in next season. Uh, Douglas is 22. He's uh, skated uh, in 49 games with the Marlies this season and has 27 points, eight goals, 19 assists. Um, shout out to my hometown, uh, Oakville, for another NHL product. But 
Um, yeah, I mean, good little signing for him. Adds again more depth, more more in the pipeline. Uh, Peter, I know, I know you like uh, you put this one on the list to talk about today. So, um, what do you see with the the Curtis Douglas signing? Um, there, there's potential. Obviously, he's not going to be a top six guy. Obviously, maybe if he cracks the lineup, he's going to be in that fourth line role. Because let's face it, he. You look at that size, 6'9", 238, you don't want to mess with that. And even then, like the clips of him fighting, he can, you know, he ain't going to go lightly. He's going to, like, I love his intensity. I love the way that he plays. He's got good speed for his size. Everyone's going to put that as a knock against him. But then again, you look at Elmer Soderblom, uh, Detroit Red Wings prospect, who's 6'8", 238. And although he's two years younger, but, you know, you do have those guys that can be very mobile and especially up front. He's got the size, the positioning, the shots. I think he I think he has a lot of potential still. And I even took note of him during the uh, rookie camp. And I was I had him as an honorable mention because I was just really enamored at how he hasn't found a place or like a consistent place on the team. And I know the Dallas Stars drafted him, but they didn't sign him. And. That to me was very, very confusing because he has a lot of upside to him. And also when he played overseas uh, during um, last season in 2021, and I believe it was in the Alps Hockey League, 12 points in 16 games. That's pretty good. And you know what? The production continued over this season. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking this guy could be a dark horse and sneak in as a roster spot. Alex, any thoughts on Curtis Douglas? No, I, I mean, Peter kind of hinted towards what I was about to say there. I think he's a guy that could be a sneaky option come uh, the playoffs down the down the stretch if they need someone to fill in on the fourth line. Um, obviously, his intensity and his size together make him a, a force to be reckoned with. I don't think anyone's going to want to go face-to-face with – well, fuck, I don't know if anyone can go face-to-face with him besides <laughs> Adeno Chara. But, um, yeah, I don't think anyone's going to want to challenge him is my point. So, uh, yeah, you know – I think that his offensive production in the AHL this year is a little bit of a pleasant surprise. I don't know if anyone was expecting that out of him. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate him getting a look at all. Leaf, so you know, Leaf fans, especially the older demographic, love talking about adding toughness and adding size and grit and knuckle draggers and guys who have more brawn than brains. All these guys, guys who don't look like they operate calculators like Kyle Dubas, right? But, uh, and you know, if, if, if you want a guy that fits that mold, Curtis Doug doesn't get any better than Curtis Douglas. So uh, yeah, I wouldn't complain seeing him in a role like that at all. And also 27 points still as a fourth liner on the Marlies as well. Yeah, no, very impressive. Very impressive. What he's been able to do at the HL level this season. Um, before we, we jump over to our couple NHL notes here. Uh, we did have a few listener comments and questions i guess we'll start with the questions uh long i'm gonna call him a long time listener uh at not mcleafer ginge uh he he asked (laughs) ginge he asked uh do the leafs have the deepest defense in the atlantic so uh alex your thoughts do they have the deepest defense in the atlantic that's really tough um see I, i i think they're up there but I also have a really hard time stacking them up against that Tampa Bay defensive core, man. I mean, you go down the list of who Tampa's got, Hedman, McDonough, Jan Ruta, Mikhail Sergachev, Eric Chernak, and who would be either – they got one more guy there I'm missing. Tossing any other name, I think you've still got any, a deeper pr- defense. Pretty much. Um, fuck, I'm sorry. This is going to piss me off. Hedman, Ruta, Sergachev, Cernak, McDonough, Bogosian. 
But fuck, how the fuck did I oh, forget Sacramento? Oh, God damn it! <laughs> See, this is why this is this is why I said it's gonna piss me off. Daily face off, man. Yes. Um. Either way, look at that defensive <laughs> core, man. Like I have a I have a hard time saying that the Leafs defense is deeper than that. But um, I, I think if nothing else, they're definitely up there. You know, Florida's got that super appealing first pairing. I mean, Aaron Eckblad's injured right now, unfortunately. But normally they've got Eckblad and Uyghur up there, which could be one of the best defensive pairings in the league. Um, but then after that, you know, you've got Ben Chirot playing on the second pairing, which say what you want about it. I, I, I don't know if I'd want him on my, my team's second pairing. I think he's more of a third pairing guy and Brandon Montour, you know, they got, they get, they get, they got some guys on their back end, but I think, uh, I think the Leafs probably have the second best defensive core and their deepest defensive core in the Atlantic. If I had to say. Peter, your thoughts, did the Leafs have the deepest in the Atlantic when it comes to their decor? I mean, on paper, you look at what, what the four teams have in terms of Florida, Tampa, Toronto, Boston. I think that's pretty much the order that I would have it in. Obviously Tampa and Florida, they got the deepest win. And even with Aaron Eckblad out there, they were still one of the top defending teams in the league. Um, I mean, I, I would, I would throw in a, obviously I'm not going to say that Detroit's better than them, but they got pieces in place to be at that level. But as of now, I do think Toronto is the third best out of all of them. And that's nothing against the knock against the Bruins. Cause they added Hampus Lindholm too. But like you look at Lindholm, McAvoy, Carlo, those three are solid, but then you look at Greslick, Forbert, Riley, who really don't provide as much of maybe as much of an impact as those three, but it's like average. But giving the Maple Leafs and bringing in Giordano, I think that just sets them a little bit over the top. Although Hampus Lindholm was a really great addition for the Bruins, but I, I would do, you know, Florida, Tampa, Toronto, Boston, one, two, three, four as my top ranking, so to speak, for the defensive depth. Yeah, I'd have to go Tampa Bay definitely first. I mean, I think that's been one of their strong suits over the last number of years. Is there is their back end? Um, there's a reason why Bogosian wanted to go back there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think Tampa's Tampa takes it for me. Uh, I think Toronto's second after, after the deadline. I really do. I think the, the addition of Giordano having Muzzin as your, you know, assume he comes back and plays healthy. You've got two solid guys. Then you got TJ Brody, who's just a defensive horse, Morgan Riley, who, you know, has some struggles in his own end, but he's, he's an offensive, you know, catalyst. And then, uh, you know, throw in any other piece there. I mean, Justin Hall might be your one weak point, but you can kind of interchange them with Sandine or Lilligren. I think it makes your, makes your top six better. Um, and then from there, I think, I think Florida and Boston are a toss up for me. Um, Florida when Ekblad's healthy might, might have the slight edge, but um, I just think their their bottom pairing isn't as strong as, as people like Robert Haig and, and uh, Brandon Montour just don't really do it for me. Re- refresh uh, me again. Who was on that second pairing with Sherratt then? Cause I think I said Sherratt and Montour. I think so. According to Daily Faceoff, I believe they they have Montour on the third pairing with uh, Robert Haig. They haven't yeah. slotted Sherratt in yet, but he, I would assume that he'd be on on top, uh, pairing. top pairing. Yeah, um, because I I believe uh, let's let's take a look at it here. They have Uyghur, and right now they have Lucas Carlson on that top pairing. For me, he'd probably drop down, uh, and then you got Gustav Forsling and Radko Gudis as your second pairing. So you probably have Carlson comes out. You got Uyghur and Sherrod as your top pairing. And I would assume Forsling and uh, Gudis would stay as your second pairing with Robert Hagen Montour being your third. Lucas Carlson might be the odd guy out. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, Boston's kind of like, as, as you alluded to, uh, uh, Peter, they're kind of right there. And then I think Detroit's on their way up. It's just a matter of getting more experience there mm-hmm. with Detroit. Um, but yeah, good, great question. Uh, appreciate it. Obviously, uh, you know, we love to love to give back to our listeners here with a little bit of opinion. Um, next question comes from Mikey D Mike, uh, at Mikey D three, nine, two Mikey D where do you the new Leafs jerseys rank for all of us. So I'm going to throw this one. I'll throw this one to Alex. I know you were hopping on that uh, sports <laughs> right away. See, uh, that's tough because I, you know, I love the Jersey, but I don't know where I'd rank it yet because I need to see it in person. I need to see them wear mm-hmm. it on the ice. And then I also need to, I mean, I ordered a Matthews one, which I should be getting over the next couple of days. So I need to see it. I need to hold it in front of me and see, but man, I love I love what they were able to do with a black Jersey. So I'd probably say as it stands right now, it could, it's definitely a top three. I would say, I would say probably second because I am a huge fan of that Centennial classic Jersey from 2017. I've got Marner yeah. on the back of that one. I love that Jersey. Uh, Loki love the new Aretna's Jersey as well. Um, also love the, uh, the, um, uh, what was it? The, fuck's sakes the, the white one the one they used against washington what was what was that events i think i saw another outdoor stadium series stadium series stadium series yeah yeah my bad they got so many so many different names for the outdoor games um, these days but <laughs> yeah literally like it you know this is a debate for a, a different time but i think they totally they milked the shit out of the outdoor game and absolutely it's, it's absolutely. lost a lot yeah. of, it's lost a lot of meeting anyways we, they're gonna have one at, we, they're gonna they're gonna have one at asu next year <laughs> yeah for real oh man yeah we'll be talking your tickets about this before the they're sold like, out only yeah, three thousand well, fans the ice, though before the ice melts even peter <laughs> yeah. um anyways yeah that's uh the, I, I know i know that's a pretty boring answer but i need to see it in person before i give it a ranking also uh mikey great great take on the best skinner song of all time we're on the same page of that one there you go. There you go. Alex needs to feel it, see it, rub it against his face, yeah. figure out what it feels like <laughs> before he, he ranks I need to it. get intimate with it before I, before I make an opinion on where it ranks. <laughs> but, but Peter, are you jumping on the train here? Are you going to, you going to go out and get yourself a leaf Jersey? Um, I would love, I would love to honestly, like I'm a, I'm a sucker for like anything, a black and blue combination. I think they go really well. Um, I, I, I again, the retinas Jersey, um, I thought were really great, but I think this one, I, I, I would wear the black and blue more than I wear the black and yellow. Although I am a big fan of the black and yellow because, you know, the look of the Maple Leaf, it kind of looks like the Mario 64 stars when you like get it at the end and you do the does, peace yeah. sign. It's just like, let's go. Mm-hmm. It looks like that, right? So I'm a, uh-huh. huge, I'm a huge nerd and sucker for that. So, I mean, I, I'm, I think, okay. I would do black and blue a retinas, black and yellow, or no, wait, not black and yellow, uh, heritage classic, black and yellow, and then the stadium series. Cause I, 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 to me, the stadium series is just a big eyesore. Yeah. I think for me, the stadiums, I like the black more than I like the white. I think the, the stadium yes. series almost was too bright. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, all you could see was blue stripes skating around the ice. You couldn't With even white. see the actual jerseys themselves. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I for me, I'd say it's, you know, if you're talking about the alternates, it's probably top three. I like the I like the black and blue. Um, I like the little bit of detail in in the actual leaf itself. I think that's that's uh, underrated in terms mm-hmm. of what they did with this jersey. Um, yeah. 
Hell, I'd get one just to say I have a Justin Bieber hockey jersey. <laughs> I don't know. Worth mentioning too, off the top for the listeners that the the name I got, if anyone cares, on the back was obviously Austin Matthews. I don't have a yeah. Matthews jersey mm-hmm. yet, so you know the Bieber collab jersey. I don't either. I don't I either. And you know what? The either. thing is yeah. too is like uh, the one main jersey that I'm missing right now is the Leafs away. I don't have an away jersey, but I also don't want. I didn't want to get Matthews on that one because. The, I, I feel like the white jerseys are more for display rather than wearing out, right? Yeah. Because you don't want to get them dirty. And I didn't oh, they're, good. Wear... they're so good to get dirty, man. Exactly. Yeah, I, and I didn't want to gonna... wear around my – I want to be able to wear around an awesome Matthews jersey, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, I've got a great drunken story for you guys about a white uh, Jays jersey that I'll tell you at, at oh, some God. point. And, and listeners, if you want to hear it, you can let me know on, on Twitter and I'll – I'll tell it on the next pod. Do you but wanna, do you want to hear Forbes? <laughs> I will say this. Do you want to hear a drunken story? story. <laughs> I will say this. Every single time I go to a bar, I'm always careful with my jerseys because I don't want to get anything on it. Because you know, wing sauce, whatever, burgers. Um, I'm very careful when I'm eating, and I roll up my sleeves all the way to make sure nothing happens. So I'm even cautious with even a dark blue jersey. So I don't. I don't wear white jerseys. I just don't wear yeah. white jerseys. It's just it doesn't. It's, it's, yeah. it's a faux pas. It's a faux yeah. pas here in here in the sporting world. When we talk about fashion and sports, white jerseys don't happen when the general public. <laughs> um, but no, that's uh, yeah, another great question. I I think you know, you know, I I may I may go out and get one. I don't know. I just yeah. I just spent money on that signed Riley's jersey, Riley jersey, and it's you know, didn't didn't realize I was gonna win it. So, anyways, <laughs> um, last comment from listeners here. TML domain at 13 Leafs 01 says Leafs moving down to a wildcard spot and being bumped over to the metropolitan division might produce an easier road to multiple rounds this postseason. The Atlantic is a tougher road uh, to the Eastern conference final in my honest opinion. Well, we appreciate your opinion. And unfortunately it's not as easy as jumping over to the metropolitan division this season to get to the, uh, the conference final. But uh, yeah, I mean, if it was that easy, I think the Leafs would jump jump divisions every year to find a way to 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 get to the final. But unfortunately, that's not the case. So um, it does raise a good point, though. I mean, the Leafs, yeah. you know, I think that they could fully embrace the underdog mentality this year. Yeah. I think they have to because I think they did the exact opposite heading into the playoffs last year. They had Jumbo mm-hmm. Joe in their in their ears saying, "Oh, we're in first place, everything's fine." And then they went in and faced a team that had a losing record, and then they promptly fucking lost to that team. So. Um, you you love that, you love that jumbo joke code, eh? It just pisses me off because it's like you play for the literal Toronto Maple Leafs, man. Like, at what yeah. point did you ever think things were going to go smoothly? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I just I can't I can't get over that. I actually cringed. I, I I almost said cringed out loud, but I guess cringing is there isn't really a sound for cringing. So, I I, cr- I visibly cringed when I watched that part of the documentary. Yeah, um, but I, the one thing I will say about that comment though is that you know the Leafs. I don't really, I don't really like sitting here and overthinking who they should play in the first round or who they'll be best stacked up against because I thought that they were gonna. I thought Montreal and Columbus were both gimme series. They proved to be the exact opposite, and you know the Leafs are gonna have to beat all these teams if they want to make a meaningful run. So you know who they get in round one and round two and round three, etc. Like you're gonna have to play them all eventually. So, um, uh, great. It is, it is a good take though. Mm-hmm. I think that they probably are better stacked up against a team that they haven't seen, they haven't played as often, maybe. I am going to say though, the one thing that kind of gets me is that um, Justin Hall said it. I mean, they play down to teams that are are shitty, right? Like are, are, are below their, their capability. So the best thing for them, 
the best thing for them might be to stay in the Atlantic and play one of those tougher teams because it might bring out the the best of, mm-hmm. you know, what they're able to do. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see who they take on the first round. Uh, with that, guys, just a couple notes here uh, when it comes to the NHL. Um, I want to get your take first on the Atlantic division. The battle is really tightening up at the top there. The Leafs really have an opportunity to win the division if they if they play their cards right and, and the teams ahead of them keep losing. They're right there within within uh, within grasp of that first uh, first spot and which would potentially give them a, a, a better um, opponent in the first round. Um, your thoughts, Peter, on on the Atlantic Division battle with Boston heating up as well? Buckle up. It's, it's, it's going to be a bumpy ride. Um, I don't know what to expect. Um, obviously, like two, three weeks ago, the Maple Leafs were in a good spot. And now look at that. Boston's tied up with them. Uh, one point behind Tampa Bay. Anything can happen. Uh, I, I'm just going to keep that short and sweet. And yeah, I, I, like you said, like we talked about earlier on in the show, they control their own destiny right now. It's up to them to see how they want to play and how they finish and how they go forward. Alex, the Leafs have one game in hand on the Boston Bruins. They have played the same amount as, as Tampa and, and Florida. Florida leads the division by seven points over the uh, over the Leafs. What are your thoughts on the, I guess, the home stretch here in the Atlantic division? You know what? Like, I I never want to be the the whole kumbaya guy, like everything's fine, because I've, I've went on plenty of rants about this team and about how, you know, nothing matters until the playoffs and stuff. But I keep hearing all these people talk about how the Leafs are, you know, they're tied with Boston right now. And, you know, Boston's right there. All these people are conveniently forgetting to mention that the Leafs are one point behind Tampa Bay and they've played the same amount of games. Mm-hmm. So, yes, yeah, Boston's creeped up and it's all of a sudden much more of a race. And, you know, it's a three, it, but it's a three dog race. It's not like Tampa Bay and Florida have run away with the division and it's, it's down to Toronto and Boston to compete for that third spot. Like so many people are suggesting, um, obviously shit's gotten real now that Boston's, you know, right up on their tail and, you know, sort of pressuring them and making things, making things a little bit more difficult down the stretch. But at the same time, all the least have to do is go on a hot streak and they'll be fine. Tampa Bay's lost five of their last seven games and the Florida Panthers, you know, they've been doing well, but at the same time they've gotten, it's, it hasn't been talked about quite as much because it's down in Florida, but their goaltending in the calendar year has been almost as bad as Toronto's. So, I mean, you know, it, yes, it's definitely something to keep an eye on, but I also don't think that it's as much of a cause for concern as some people might think. No. And I think and one of those yet- people that are just in a cause for concern, <laughs> Because anything's happening. I, I mean, mm-hmm. let's face it. Oh, I'm yeah. already, I'm already, I'm, I'm already thinking that mentality that you had last year. Already thinking worst case scenario. Oh, when we talked to when we talked to Masters before the season <laughs> started, already asking about what the Leafs will do if they get bounced again. <laughs> yeah, guys. The the one last note I wanted to make about the standings is like everyone's so worried and caught up about this, uh, you know, Boston catching up. But when you look at it, it's not going to change anything because the Leafs actually likely are still going to make the playoffs at the end of the day. Um, I think Washington's played 65 games and are at sitting at 80 points. So when it comes to the wild card, the Leafs playoff potential is, is more secure than people are giving them credit for. Uh, it's just going to change, you know, obviously home ice advantage and who their, their opponent is in the first round. So um, yeah, I think like Alex said, it's a little bit of a panic from, from Leafs nation saying that, you know, all of a sudden it's, it's so tight and it's, it's getting scary in the, the Atlantic, but at the end of the day, 
you know, this is a team that was going to be up against tough, tough squads at the beginning of the year. And they they're sitting where they are right now. So um, I'm one of those, I'm one of those fans that are still worrying because let's face it, past history is not on our side. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fair. <laughs> I, I think, I think, you know, I'm a little more worried when we get into the first round and we go up, you know, three, one and end up losing. Oh, God. Um, then I'll, then I'll be worried. But anyways, last, last point before we close out here on episode 76 boys, um, winners and losers of the trade deadline. Alex, what are your thoughts on, on winners and losers here? Ooh, that is a great question. Um, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to throw to Peter because I got to think about it for a second. So Peter, let's hear. <laughs> Sorry to do that to you, but I need to think about it for a sec. I had it, I had it in the back of my head. So I, I, I'm good to go. Um, my big, I mean, if I, I, I'm just going to pick one and one. Uh, one winner is definitely, I mean, the Florida Panthers. I mean, yeah, price to pay for Beaujolais and Sherrod, but hey, they were the top name, some of the top names on the market, and they, they brought in. They, they feel like they're going all in this year. Based on where they are in the standings, they feel they have a good shot. And you know what? They're taking that risk. And I, I think that Giroux on that top line, especially with Barkov, is going to be really dangerous. And Sherrod in a tougher role, whether he's top pairing material or not, he's still tough. I mean, granted, you look at his defensive metrics, it's not great. But, hey, you know, the Panthers are a better defensive team this year. So, And my loser, um, I'm going to say the Carolina Hurricanes. I mean, I expected more from them. I mean, I, 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 they made the trade to get Max Domi. And, yeah, you get a middle six forward. But I think they could have done a lot more given where they are in the standings. I mean, if they really want to be all in, I, I just thought that maybe one or two more moves would have been more beneficial, especially up front if they want to get more scoring and more offense. Because they, I think they're pretty set in defense and goal. If they got one more top six forward, maybe even if they went for a Connor Garland instead, I, I think that you just would have solidified them even more. I'm going to jump in here and say that my winner was I, my loser was the same Carolina. I, I feel like, you know, for the last couple of years, they've been one step away. They're having, you know, a Fesna type season from Frederick Anderson mm-hmm. and really had the potential to go out and, and put it all on the line. And, and they didn't. Um, and, and, you know, this was an opportunity for them to, in a smaller market, realistically, uh, you know, drawing more people and, and have a good run. And uh, I, I think they kind of shit the bet on that. But my winner is going to be the New York Rangers because, again, another Vesna type year, a heart type year from from um, Shesterkin. Uh, Adam Fox, obviously, is, is going to be in the Norris conversation once again. And they went out and got two guys that really secure their bottom six and Andrew Kopp and Tyler Mott. And then even mm-hmm. added Justin Braun on the back end who yeah. slotted in on their third pairing. So a depth defenseman who, to me, I, I think he's, he's a little more underrated than people give him credit for. Yeah. Um, so I, for me, the winner would be the New York Rangers. Cause I think they're going to go on one hell of a run here in the playoffs. All right. And I've, uh, I've sat on mine and I've, I've got one now for each. Um, as much as it pains me to say it, man, I'm going to say some of the winners. I've got two winners. So I think Colorado is a bit, is a winner. I think that they made some good moves in, in bringing in Josh Manson, solidifying that defensive core and adding Arturi Lekkinen as well. Mm-hmm. And on that note, I will say, I think the Montreal Canadiens are winners this year. I think that the returns yeah. that they were able to get for their players, man, like that was, I remember when the Leafs, um, when the Leafs officially green lighted the rebuild back in 2014, 15, and they were going out and trading their rentals for first round picks. And like, you know, I remember they made that Cody France and a Mike Santorelli for a first round pick. And I actually, 
I actually got really excited. I, I got almost as excited about getting returns like that as I did over, you know, when our team's buying and the, the Leafs are trading for good players, right? So um, I think that Montreal, in a sense, is a winner there because I think the returns they were able to get for their players, especially guys like Ben Sherratt, that's insane. So yeah. good for them. Uh, losers, I'm going to say the Edmonton Oilers, honestly. Like I, you know, Elliot Friedman mentioned in his 32 thoughts piece that he didn't expect Ken Holland to make any big moves at the deadline, because I don't remember what the exact quote was, but it was, he essentially hinted at saying he didn't trust his team to make a deep run and he didn't want to spend assets because of that. And, you know, as true as that might be, you're in year seven of Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You have to do something. And you know what? The, the Oilers are still very much in a playoff spot. They're third in the they're third in the Pacific right now. So why wouldn't you have added a big name at the deadline? Why would you, at the very least, why would you have not addressed the goaltending? Like, are, are you really comfortable going into the playoffs? It, it, like, if you're going into the playoffs and you're happy with the tandem of Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen, man, I mean, you're pretty much telling your team, yeah, we don't expect to go far. So just like do what you can and we'll 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 be we'll be proud either way. So yeah, great. They added Brett Kulak. They added Derek Broussard. I just, I, I, I think that the Oilers are just doing everything they can to tarnish what could have been a great era for Connor McDavid in, in Edmonton. And um, yeah, I'm sorry. Year seven of that. You got to You got to do better than that. So I'm going to say the Oilers are the losers. Well, boys, uh, we'll see how it all plays out to close out this season. But uh, before we shut it down, do you guys have anything for our listeners? Um, draft profiles are starting this week for me. I'm going to have my first one out Friday. Um, I've, I ran a poll on Twitter and people seem to voted for vote for the one that they wanted. So I'm going to, uh, have this mystery player out on Friday. So, uh, keep an eye out for that. Beautiful. Uh, Peter, anything coming from you? Yeah. Uh, again, same thing. Draft profiles. Uh, Owen Beck came out today. Um, working shout on out to, shout out to Treg Wilson for, <laughs> <laughs> for pumping your tires and the, the chat yeah. there. <laughs> Must have been a really good profile. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, draft content still coming out. Um, also still working on uh, a massive Jer Gardens piece of all the players coming up for the NHL draft there and a Maple Leafs piece about, you know, maybe discovering their newfound toughness since the Matthews suspension. So, yeah, keep an eye on that. Beautiful. I'll, I'll add in there that I'm also going to be throwing some draft profiles out. And I, I've said this the last two weeks, boys, but our draft profiles are so big uh, over at the hockey writers. I've been mm-hmm. a part of it for about five or six years now. And uh, you know, Sportsnet jumps on it when, when they do their draft coverage, I've seen other, other, uh, other scribes out there that uh, use our draft profiles to get to know some of these young players. So um great work by the draft team and Peter, you know, running the show over at the hockey writers. So shout out to you. Um, and uh, it's going to be a lot of, a lot of fun as we get into uh, the Christmas of hockey season. So oh, yeah. um, with that said, that closes out episode 76, another great week, boys. Um, we do have an interview bank that we'd like to drop at some point. Uh, we're looking at early May. So we will, uh, we'll get that one out to you guys as soon as we can. Um, but with that said, another week, another, uh, another episode. And uh, as always, thank you for joining us here on sticks on the six. You can follow Peter on Twitter at P Barrichini. You can follow uh, Alex over at a hops and media, or you can follow myself at Andrew G Forbes. You can also hit us up with the, uh, the, uh, 
show's account on uh, Twitter at Sticks in the Six. That's S T I X I N T H E six I X P O D. Uh, or just follow us on any of uh, your podcasting um, apps, I guess. Uh, iHeartRadio, we're there. Uh, jump on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, wherever you download your podcast. Make sure you hit the subscribe or the follow button. Make sure you tune in. Make sure you listen to us and make sure you get your uh, listener questions in as you heard this episode. We love to engage with you guys. So with that said, as always, for the boys here at Sticks in the Six, until next week.